enjoyed seeing all your faces, giving you hugs as you came in, and I was holding it all together until we started singing together, and then it got rough. Uh, it was it was gonna it was gonna get ugly over here on this side, um, but just the joy of being able to to see you all and and to sing God's praises with you, and I'll tell you, um, I initially wasn't even gonna try. It, don't hold this against me. I wasn't e even initially going to try to make it all the way up here uh, when I was thinking about coming uh, to Canada, but uh, I'm so grateful for Rory kind of uh, extending the invitation. You have a kingdom-minded pastor, and I am so grateful for that, that, that he is leading you in that way. Um, well, multiple factors. I had to travel alone this time, and I think I was telling a couple of you I said, be praying for my wife because uh, I don't know the emotions she's going through, but I know she really, really would love to be here and love to see you all. And so let's just continue to pray. Let's continue to pray for your leaders in this country that certain things would happen and uh, certain things would happen in our, in our country as well that would allow us to pass with ease and be able to come and all of us be able to, to, to worship in, uh, with you and, and see you hopefully very, very soon. Now, as we approach this passage here in 2 Corinthians, there is a lot that's being said, and there's a lot that's gone on up to this point. And I'm going to bring you up to speed just a little bit in just a few moments, but as I go into this, I need to be completely transparent with you and tell you that I had two messages prepared on this passage of Scripture. Now, I realize that some of you might be reaching for your phone and saying, hey, listen, I can't make it this afternoon. I know this guy, and it's going to be a while. He just said he had two messages. He's trying to cram it into one. Okay? I'm, I'm not making any promises, um, but I, I do think that there's a lot here, and I want to go through it with you. I hope it's, it's an encouragement to your heart. Um, but you know me, once I get going, it's hard to rein me in, okay? I've tried to edit it as, 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 as much as I can, but we're going to see where this goes, all right? Today, the title of this message is simply, A Ministry by God's Mercy. A Ministry by God's Mercies. I want us to notice three principles related to this passage. By the mercies of God, the first thing that we'll notice in verse 1 is we do not lose heart. By the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. Second thing that I want us to see here is by the mercies of God, verse 2, we'll see we guard our ways. We guard our ways. And then by the mercies of God, the third thing, we communicate the hope of the gospel. We communicate the hope of the gospel. So that's where we're going. Let's pray together again. Father, we lift you up. Our triune God, we make much of you this day because of who you are and what you have done. You have truly shown us mercy Oh, God, would you help that to resonate in our hearts? Would you cause that to move us today and for the rest of our lives? Would this truly be our strong and steady anchor? Father, we thank you for your sovereign providence in all things. And I do ask that you would open our eyes to marvelous things in your word. 
that you would speak to us here, that you would use your word to reproof, to rebuke, to correct, to train us in righteousness, oh God, that we might be your people and that we might be completely equipped for every good work that you have set before us. Would you help us? Would you help us to do the things that are set out for us this day, that we, we might not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word, Lord. And that you would do this all for your name's sake, Lord Jesus, that you might draw many to yourself and that you would do it for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's get the slightest context here, just the immediate context. We might reach back a little bit, but just for a moment, I want you to know that if, if I had something to do with this chapter break, this is not where I would have put it. Now, they didn't ask me, but I would have advised them not to. Because when you go back and you read the last chapter, what you find is that many of the themes that Paul is explaining there are being explained and expounded upon here in this chapter. And so the themes just sort of run together. And the theme that is mainly carried over from chapter 3, starting in verse 7, is just this theme of ministry, of service. Something that you might think of as, as a pastor or as a missionary, but honestly, the Lord has given us all a service. He's given us all ministry to do. Whether we will recognize it or not, whether we will take that yoke upon ourselves, God has truly given us ministry given us service to others, regardless of what your title may be, whether it's elder or deacon or whatever. If you have named the name of Christ, you have a ministry. A few corresponding factors from the last chapter that are going to come over into this one are the fact that Paul encourages the Corinthians to press on, not to lose heart, to hold fast those principles that he wants this church to know, and I want you to know, this morning, that by the mercies of God, we are to hold fast to what he has shown us. He also talked about this gospel, this glorious gospel, being veiled to the unbelieving. And he's going to talk about that in this chapter as well. And he presents the hardness of heart of unbelievers, the blindness of their hearts. And then he also goes on to talk about the, the glory of God is central all that we do as a church. The Corinthians had been beguiled by false prophets, people who were real showy, who had the right speech, who really tickled their ears, and they loved it. And Paul warns them against that here again as well. They, they had looked and sounded great, and they weren't like Paul. See, they had accused Paul that Paul, man, he talked a big talk when he wrote to us, didn't he? But when he came, he was really weak and unimpressive. So it got him thinking, it got him murmuring, oh, maybe we shouldn't believe what he has to say. And Paul steps up and defends his ministry. He says, put me to the test. I will, I will entrust myself to every good conscience that what I've told you is true. And it wasn't in a way that he could dig at them, because we know Paul. If you've been around and you've been in the epistles, if you've read anything from this man, you know that he loved the churches. He had the marks on his body to prove it. He loved them. 
He spent about 18 months with the Corinthians. He loved this church. They, they were messy. Man, they were messy. There were some messed up things going on. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians. Just some things that you would go, what? That's not it. That shouldn't even be said in the darkest parts of the city. And that's going on in the church? Yeah. And Paul gives them instructions about that too. But that's what brings us up to this point where he loves them, but he encourages them. All of you have a ministry, he says, and it's given to you by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Verse 1, by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. Let's look at it. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. That's the language. I, I love this transition. Paul doesn't just use it here. He also uses it in Romans 12, if you remember. Therefore, what? By the mercies of God, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And he's, it, it just kind of smacks of that, doesn't it? It's got that same flavor. Therefore, by the mercies of God, you've been given this ministry. And, and because of that, do not lose heart. The mercies of God, as we sang this morning, in Christ and the promises of Christ. Listen, you may not feel good today. You may feel as though you've been tossed this week. But. Christ really, truly is a strong and steady anchor. How do we know? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God. We know Christ. Christ has come. He has saved us. See, God's mercy saves us and preserves us. God's mercy makes a person a Christian, and then adopts us into his family, that we might experience the benefits of the assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, an increase of grace and perseverance there and to the end. Those are the benefits which in this life accompany and flow from justification, sanctification, adoption. We experience that. Why? Because God has mercifully allowed us to experience it. All those good things. And it starts with let light shine out of darkness, as we'll see here in a few moments. The, the, the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit at work within our lives. Now, I've said mercy up to this point multiple times, maybe a dozen times. I've said mercy, the mercies of God. How does that strike us? How does it strike us? What do we think about when we think about mercy? When we think about the mercies of God? Does it not affect us? Oh, how it should affect us if we just know who we were, who we are. And yet God still, in His great and infinite wisdom and His loving kindness, has held back. From us, the punishment, do us. And not just held it back, but redirected it upon the one who deserved every good and perfect thing. And yet, he takes the punishment. The mercies of God should affect us. Have our hearts become so hardened, so used to hearing religious speak, 
that we're not moved when we think of the tender mercies of God who through life have been our guide? If that's you this morning, let me encourage you. Repent. I've had to consider this myself. When I think of God's mercies, what, have I become so hardened? Think about it. Paul mentions all of this in his own experience. He has experienced a merciful God, as, as have we. But this is what he says when he's speaking to his, his protege, his pastor protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 13. Though formerly, he says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, you might read that and go, yeah, but I wasn't that bad. I was no blasphemer. I was no persecutor. I was no insolent opponent, but truly in our dead state apart from the life of Christ, we were. We, we did nothing to the glory of God. We, we truly were blasphemers. We, we were not responding to the cues of the Holy Spirit as we were hearing the Word of God or as things would come into our lives that would motivate us to want to seek God. We were blasphemers, just as Paul. We also were insolent. We were sinners, dead in trespasses and sins. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, just three, three verses later, he says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God had done a work in Paul and made him into something completely different. The old had gone, the new had come. And I've often thought of it like this, as the psalmist would say in Psalm 73. He said, in my ignorance, in my unbelief, I was brutish. I was a beast towards you. And I think about, I recall in my mind my sin, and I think, how beastly was I before the Lord? How undeserving of anything but judgment was I before the Lord. But God, but God showing mercy has saved us. Saved us. Not by any works of righteousness of our own, but because of his great love for us. This witness, this ministry is not due to our goodness. Is due to the mercies of God. For Paul, just the thought of that is enough for him to go, I will not lose heart. No matter what I must endure in this life, I will not lose heart. God's promises are yes and amen. They are assured to me. I may not feel saved one day, doesn't matter. God says I'm saved. He says those who believe in him shall not perish. Sometimes we have to preach the gospel ourselves, amen? Right? We do. Because we don't always feel like we're saved. And Paul is telling this church, listen, you can, you can take it to the bank. You can hold it secure. Do not lose heart. You have experienced God's mercy 
What about us, though? Is it enough for us? You may say, well, preacher, I just need something else. If I'm going to hold on to something, I just need something else. I need some sort of miracle. I need some sort of answered prayer. I need some sort of special word. I need some sort of power. I need some sort of fill in the blank. I'll say this with all the love that I can. That is not promised to you, child. God has not promised that to you. But he has promised everything that is written for us here. And so we base, we base our hope on what's found in, in the mercies of God through Christ. So by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. I thought of uh, recently th that great hymn, um, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And it says, content whatever lot I see. Or excuse me, that's he leadeth me. Content whatever lot I see, for by God's hand he leadeth me. Are we content? Are we okay with knowing that God says, do not lose heart by my mercy, I will be with you, period, the end. Beyond that, we don't know what he's got in store for us. We don't, but we can trust him because he is good no matter what. How difficult that is when we're in the moment. It's easy for me to say up here, right? It's easy to give you great spiritual platitudes when things are good. But when we have to walk through the tough stuff of life, when we have to walk through the clouds, when we have to be on the stormy seas and everything is darkness and we don't know where God is, we have to remember this. We must. Our lives this is not exaggeration. Our lives depend on it. By the mercies of God, experiencing the mercies of God, what else? We don't lose heart, but we guard our ways. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. Not losing, listen, not losing heart is impossible when you're holding on to secret and shameful ways. You're going to lose heart. If you're holding on to some hidden sin and you're not repenting, you haven't brought it before the Lord, you haven't brought it before uh, your brothers and sisters and said, pray for me, you will go down. You will go down hard. And we have to do what God is, is, is encouraging us to do here. Not losing heart by God's mercy swirling around in our heads, it will make us act in three ways. One, renouncing secret and shameful ways. Remember how John tells us mankind, by nature he is, men love darkness. Remember that? Uh, rather than the light. They'd rather hide in the dark. We're told by Paul, we once in our natural state, we once apart from the mercies of God, were living in darkness. But now we are children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Get rid of these secret, shameful things and repent of them. And turn your back on them and say, I know that these are condemning. And if these are making my life worse, why don't I have the assurance of faith that I need? That's them. Renounce them. Turn away from them. Walk away. 
Because these secret and shameful ways lead to greater sins. And soon you're going to have a full-grown beast on your hand. You're not just going to have a baby. You're going to have a full-grown beast. And we must put it to death. David Garland remarks, Secret and shameful ways describe those who attempt to cover up their true intentions. But those who act honorably, as Paul does, don't need to cloak their deeds in secrecy, but are open to the view of the entire world, Christian and non-Christian. And Paul says he renounced these. He's very transparent. He, he's very transparent about who he is, too. So we can't play the hypocrite. Paul says, sinful man that I am, when will I be free of this, this body of flesh? He says, I'm the chief of sinners. Are we able to make that remark about ourselves? I, I hope we are only in, in order to fall upon the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus. Second thing he tells us here is that he doesn't use deception. He has put that away. He wouldn't use tricks. He wouldn't bait and switch anybody. That's one of the reasons why the Corinthians had such a beef with Paul. Um, it's because he was just open and honest. He, he, he was who he was. And he didn't try to put on a show like the other folks were trying to put on a show and tickle ears. But he would be truthful. He would let his yes be yes, and he would let his no be no. He wouldn't be double-tongued. He wouldn't be two-faced. Instead, he just was who he was. Made me think of when David approached uh, when when David was approached by Nathan, and Nathan gives him that grand, elaborate illusion illustration of what he had done in his sinning, taking Bathsheba as his wife, killing Uriah the Hittite, and he used the lamb illustration, the man that came over, and he got so angry, and Nathan just says, "You are that man." He had hidden so many things, and God came to him and convicted him of it. And what did he do? Did he try to deceive at that moment again? Did he, did he try to cover it all up? No, I'm not that man. I, it's something else. No. No, he humbled himself and he turned to God. And God granted repentance. God granted forgiveness. And he's able to go on with a clear conscience knowing that his sins have been forgiven. The next thing is he does not falsify the word of God. He doesn't falsify the word of God. In our flesh, we don't always like what the word says. In our flesh, we don't always like what God's word has to tell us about how we are to act. We oftentimes think we know better. We definitely know what feels better. So we go, okay, well, maybe I could. And so what we start to do is we start to play fast and loose with the text. We start to twist the text a little. We start to be our own interpreters, which the Scripture says is foolish. But we play the fool so that we can feel better about what we're doing. Um, falsifying the Word of God is what the enemies were doing. Um, that's why the health, wealth, prosperity gospel, though I don't even say gospel, health, wealth, prosperity message it is so appealing. It's because it twists Scripture. It makes people feel good. It doesn't mention sin. It makes us think that everything is going to be great. Listen, God and His Word do not need a salesman, okay? It doesn't. In fact, the proverb says, buy the truth and sell it not. Just buy the truth, sell it not. 
the, the invitation is for all. Come. Come you who don't have any money. Come and buy and eat. Come to the fountain. Come experience God with freedom, freely. His mercies are never, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Come. Great is His faithfulness. As the, the hymn writer says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That's the invitation. Come. Oh, how easy it would be, though, to communicate a message that everybody liked. Um, to believe that in our hearts, to deceive ourselves, to not have any mention of sin, to never call ourselves or anyone else to repentance. Well, that would be so easy. Be a lot less pain if we did that. What an easy task to tell everybody God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So just, you know, pray this prayer. Oh, it doesn't matter how you live, just do that. It's fine. But that's not the gospel. That is a damning message. We have to hold with all of our hearts to the true gospel and to communicate that gospel boldly. That leads us to our last point and where we'll spend quite a bit of time. Not too much. As we hold fast, living as witnesses for Christ by the mercies of God, we don't lose heart by the mercies of God. We guard our ways, as we've seen here in verse 2, and we communicate the hope of the gospel. We communicate the hope of the gospel. Let's look starting at the last half of, of verse 2. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of, of Christ, who is the image of God. We are to openly communicate the truth of the gospel. Who ju and just like Paul say, this is the truth. Oh, how hard it is in our day just to tell someone the truth. But it is. Because the truth is not palatable. <laughs> truth doesn't sound good. It doesn't always look good. It's hard. But how much love it takes to look at someone and tell them the truth about their nature and about their need. That's truly what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then turn around and love your neighbor as yourself is to do righteousness and to explain and communicate God's real, true hope in the gospel. And then at the end of it, be able to say, I did all that I could do. I didn't hold anything back. I didn't twist the scripture. I just plainly presented them the truth. And just like Paul goes, I'll just entrust myself to, to their conscience and to God. And I'll let him do the rest. Because really that's all we can do. Is we just entrust that the message of the gospel will go into the hearts of those who need it. As I look out and I see all of our children, I think of that. How we labor and we just time and time again, we... We give them the truth and we give them the word and we pray, oh God, save them. 
how little we can really do except for by the grace and the mercies of God and trust them that he will, he will save. So the gospel, he says, is ultimately veiled. It's a, a unique phrase, but John uses it too in John 9. He says that, that their spiritual blindness People's spiritual blindness keep them from believing and seeing spiritual light, the real true gospel. And they harden themselves. They don't want to hear the truth. This is, this is what uh, the prophet Isaiah was told. Uh, God is saying, who shall go for me? Who, who shall I send? Who shall go for me? Who shall go out? And, and I, Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. And, and he's excited about it. And then God says, okay, you're going to go and, and you're going to preach, but they're not going to believe you. You're going to go and you're going to tell them these things and they're not going to hear. They're going to have hard hearts. But you're going to do it. And yet Isaiah at that moment, because he had seen the mercies of God, because he had seen the glory of God, didn't say, can we reevaluate? So when I said, here I am, send me, like this is what I was expecting um, and this is what you're telling me, not what I expected. I'm just going to go. There's another guy, Jeremiah, you might know him. He might want to. Come in. But that's what is happening in our world. But here's the thing. We all live that way. We all once lived that way. And if the veil can be lifted for us, the veil can be lifted for anyone. But he says that to those who are perishing, the gospel is veiled. They're actively rejecting and in opposition to God's word. Now our foe, our ancient foe, is crafty. He's crafty. He can, he can even disguise himself as an angel of light, Scripture tells us. He doesn't play by the rules. The only rules are the ones that God says, no, you're not going to do this. In fact, we can take heart that the devil is God's devil. He's created. God can use him. He can stay his hand. He can do whatever he wishes with him. But he's also called a roaring lion. And that deafening roar is keeping people from hearing the gospel. As Hodge puts it, the reason or cause of this fact, of the rejection of the gospel, was not to be sought either in the nature of the gospel, the gospel's good, the gospel's great, or in its mode of exhibition. People get saved in some of the wildest ways. It doesn't have to be a charismatic pastor, and I don't mean charismatic pastor in the sense of Pentecostal pastor. I mean like a guy that's really good at communicating. It doesn't have to be that guy. It can be with a scrap of paper next to a latrine in the jungles of Africa. And God opens their heart to receive the gospel. It's not in that, but in the state and the character of those who reject it. He goes on to say, the sun does not cease to be the sun, although the blind do not see it. And in the same way, the communication of the gospel, we don't need to shroud it in these high and lofty truths. We don't need to make it a burdensome load to someone. We're to communicate the gospel in a way that's true, that dispels the, the darkness to bring attention to the roaring lion. Listen, there's someone out for you. I'm trying to help you. We warn and we exhort. Come to Christ. 
friend, believer, you don't have to be a preacher to do this. This ministry, this service is something that if you name the name of Christ, you should endeavor to do. It's scary at times, yes, but you know what helps quench those fears? Doing it. It's like jumping off the edge of a cliff. It looks really high from the top, doesn't it? <laughs> then you go and you get in the water and you're like, that hurt a little. And then you look up and you go, okay, it wasn't that high. It wasn't that bad. So please, please pray, be in the word, get counsel, but communicate the message of the gospel to those you know need to hear it. It's good. And you know, that's how God saves people. That's how he saved you. If you're saved, someone told you the gospel. They told you, hey, look, I love you, but you're wretched. The Bible says it. I'm wretched. I know what I thought and did last night and how God should have killed me in my sleep. So, but God shows us mercy. And here's how he did it. By bringing himself into the world to be born in a lowly estate. Made under the law. Having to fulfill the law. Undergoing the miseries of this life. The wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time, but rising victoriously from the grave. It's one of the most tested two facts of human history. And now he's calling you to repent, to turn from, from secret and shameful ways, to get rid of these things that cause you such harm and to embrace him. He truly is a treasure. See, if we don't believe that Christ truly is a treasure, if we're just going through the motions week after week, it's going to be hard to communicate the gospel to someone because people will know you don't really believe this. And so we must endeavor to dive deeper in the Word, to, to be educated in the Word, to pray, to not neglect the assembling of yourselves, to just pray together. Oh, how God answers prayer. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In the Greek, the emphatic first word here is not. Not. Not ourselves. That is what is stressed and then that conjunction which draws the contrast. But Christ. I want you to note how I want you to note this. How often Paul explains to the Corinthians, just the Corinthians, of the content of his preaching. How it wasn't him. He knew he was not the one that was saving people. It was Christ. So even if you want to just jot these down, I'm gonna have to go through these quickly so that we can get done at a reasonable time. First uh, Corinthians 1 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, that was not his ministry, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There is power in the cross. That's what Paul preached. He goes on to say, just a few verses later in verse 23 of chapter 1, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
we must show and we must remember by the mercies of God, this is what it took to save us. The perfect, holy, spotless lamb under the wrath of God, nailed to a cross in our behalf. And we can go into that in as much detail as we think we need to, to get our point across that this is I, I hesitate to say it because I don't like when we use words that don't have a great connotation to talk about. I'm just going to do it. Scandal, that this would happen. But it happened for us. Uh, two, two, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not himself, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Twelve, three. Therefore, I want you to understand no one is speaking in the Spirit of God will ever say Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, he would proclaim, except in the Holy Spirit. 15, 3 and 5, one of the greatest, simplest, shortest explanations of the core of the gospel is this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, and they are great. I included that part. Uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Christ's life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. There is no greater hope. There is no hope at all. Besides this, notice too the denial of himself. Chapter 1, verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He asks. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, he's denying himself. He's saying it's Christ, it's all of Christ. 3, 4, for when one says, I follow Paul, because this was going on, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Is that not fleshly? Is that not carnal to think this way? No, we follow Christ. 3, 22 and 23. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, for the wor world of life or death or present or future, all are yours, yours, and you are Christ. And Christ is God's. He continually points them to Christ, points them to Christ. The gospel is all of Christ, and Christ is glorious. He's glorious, and if you don't think so, there may be a veil, and we will pray that the veil is removed. If we would take the time to see that Christ is a priceless treasure, we'll be able to communicate that to others. When, it, when we just get a taste of it, do you know what? It, it causes us to do things, it causes us to sing things like, uh, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Makes me think of those Moravian missionaries. I know you've heard me say this before in the past, those Moravian missionaries who would uh, who found out about the man who had a plantation in the Caribbean and they're leaving Europe. They have given themselves to this man to be slaves, to go to this island, to preach, to be around this, these people because this man had vowed there would be no preacher on this island. 
And they say the only, peop- the only way that those folks on that island are going to know the gospel is if we go. How do we go? Let's sign up to be slaves. And so as the boat pulls away and as their church gathers and they see these two young men and they don't know what is happening, one of them calls back and says, May the Lamb of God receive the reward for his suffering. I think, I think that it, the Moravians picked up that motto. That, that's the motto of the Moravian church. May the Lamb of God be worthy to receive the reward for his suffering. And I think it should be etched upon every heart. Because he is. We can venture all to serve the Lord, to serve the elect for Jesus' sake, to not worry about our own lives, to count our lives as of of little value. I I was speaking with with some of you ladies downstairs a moment ago when we were talking about uh, the transitions, the transitions in our lives, the moving into smaller spaces, the uh, selling homes and moving out into the country or moving, and we just moved as well. And, and even as I was coming into town this morning, there was a lot that was the same from three years ago, and I was trying to just, you know, kind of, okay, yeah, take it in a little bit. And I, but at the same time, I just thought, you know, this isn't home. And I don't mean that. Like, when I'm with you, I'm home. I am. You're family. This isn't an Olive Garden commercial, but it's true. We're we're together. We're family. But this location is not home. You might think, well, I grew up here. Guys, this is not home. Do you know how quickly you will be here and be gone? Life is a vapor. I see some of you young guys, and I think, man, the Lord is, I just, I hope that he blesses you with children, but you're going to see what your parents have talked about, that as soon as you have a child, boom, fast forward hits. And the next thing you know, you blink, and then your kids are having kids, and then the next thing you know, you're closing your eyes, your eyes for the last time. We are but a vapor, like the fog that comes in in the morning, and then in the afternoon, the sun burns it away, we're gone. What we do for the sake of eternity is all that lasts. We will leave everything here except what God has wrought in our hearts through the word. What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, that the Lamb of God may receive the reward for his suffering. What does that look like? Look at that last verse for just a moment with me. Paul has cornered himself, and now he must explain a little bit about this gospel right here in this last verse. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in your heart to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the power of the gospel. There's no explicit reference given here. You're not going to find it. It's not a quote or anything, but but it doesn't take long to be in church to see where he's getting this imagery. This is creation imagery. The same God who in the beginning said, let there be light, is the same God who stoops to you. Listen, dust. We are made from the dust, woven in our mother's womb. Just decorated dust, and yet he comes to you among billions of people, and he shouts into the 
the corners of your soul. And he says, let there be light. And there is. And he quickens you from the dead. And you wake up and you think, what just happened? How could I have been so foolish? Yes, God, you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And I, I, will, I will give all that I am to you. Thank you, Lord, for life. That's the language. Paul tethers our salvation to creation. God has been dispelling dark since the beginning, and he can dispel any darkness that he so chooses. And how does he do it? By the light of the gospel. And so, Christian, we do not hide our light under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. It seems like a simple Christian song. How, there's a lot of doctrine there. Good doctrine. Let it shine. Put it on a lampstand. Show, folks. Paul knew this firsthand. Acts 26, starting in verse 12, he talks about his, his conversion. He says, In connection with this, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me. And those who journeyed with me, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant, just as he has appointed all of us, and a witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And notice here, God tells them further, verse 18, to open their eyes. They're blind, but I'm sending you the same light that you've experienced right now to open your eyes is the same light that I'm going to use to open their eyes. So go, trust me that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me and give them a family of faith. What a reminder that God has shown lights into our hearts so that we might be a light to others. This is what God has intended for us. Satan tries to blind, but God shines into our hearts. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Drive, uh, melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. We sing good doctrine. It reminds us. That by God's mercy, we do not lose heart. That by God's mercy, we renounce shameful ways. By God's mercy, we communicate the truth of the gospel that's found in the face of Jesus Christ. This does not mean that today, if you're going to stick around and be a part of potluck, don't go looking at your taco shell for the face of Jesus, okay? That's not what he's talking about. The face of Jesus, who Christ is, the very imprint of God's nature, the revelation of Jesus Christ is found in the Gospels of Jesus Christ. 
you think, I need to know more today, let me encourage you. Take your Bible, open up to John chapter 1. Somebody will help you find it. And if you just need a reminder, just go back and read through John chapter 1. Just do it. It's written that you might believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. It's a good place to be remembered. Listen, there's so much more I want to tell you, but I'm going to be done now. Um, It is true. God created man, and he did so in his own image. But man fell. He bought the lie that that he was like God. He could be like God. And so they fell into sin. They they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And by so doing, it then plunged us into darkness. The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. But God, being rich in loving kindness, according to the great mercy with which he loved us, reveals his goodness, his truth, and his mercy. He reveals all of himself in the man, Christ Jesus, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, perfectly fulfilling the law that we could not fulfill. He goes to the cross, not just to be whipped and scourged and nailed to a cross by Romans and have physical punishment, but to show something much greater. All the punishment, all the anger and the wrath of holy God for the sins of men are placed upon this sinless one. And he, this is where we get our word atonement, extinguishes that wrath for all who will believe in him. Belief, two sides of the same coin, belief and repentance. Turning from your old ways and turning to Christ and God for the hope of the glory of God. Because there is hope, because he didn't stay dead. He's put in a tomb, three days later, they don't know where he is. And the angels have to say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Christ is alive forevermore. And you know what's great, believer? Do not lose heart. Because I know you probably still sing it. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual fruit. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him or her all. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Christ and the gospel are glorious. Let us endeavor to give all of our lives, all of our lives, for the sake of this life-changing, eternity-changing message. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you have looked upon us, a people who do not deserve mercy, and you have given us mercy, and you have given us grace, and you have shown yourself as long-suffering, and you have shown yourself as loving beyond all measure, that you would call to yourself a peculiar people out of darkness and into light. Oh, God, would you help us to walk as children of the light? Lord, we experience so many things in this life. Lord, we lose heart so often. Oh God, how we feel tossed. How we feel as though the path is, is dark before us. But your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Oh God, how you have said, let light shine out of darkness. You have shown in our hearts. Would you dispel the gloom of dark, of the doubts away from us this day and help us to cling fast to you, our only hope, our good and beautiful Savior. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. We do not communicate a message about ourselves. Lord, we communicate your message. Would you give us the strength and the boldness to do so? And as we continue to sing these truths, would they resonate in our hearts? Would you help us to remember them, to guide us along our way, to encourage one another? And Lord, as we come to these tables, I ask that you would be present with us here. You promise you will. Help us to know it as we partake of your body and your blood shed for us. Thank you for your precious promises. Lord, we give all of ourselves to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray.